The last words of a dying man. I love y'all. Give mom a hug for me and tell her that I love her. Y'all do understand that I came here a sinner and leaving a saint. Take me home, Lord. I ain't left yet. Must be a miracle. I am a miracle. I see you, Rich. Don't cry, son. Don't cry, baby. I love y'all. I'm ready. A needle pierces his black skin and spews a drug cocktail into his vein. Montel was a mentally disabled, impoverished light of the world. 75 miles down Interstate 45, a young man hears a verse. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I'm Drew Willie with Restoring Justice, and this is Freedom Stories. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Where I share struggles and victories of freedom from inside our system, highlighting particular issues and their effect on our marginalized brothers and sisters. We who believe in freedom cannot rest Montel was a man that I had gotten to know only through the grates in the glass of Death Row. Death Row in Texas is housed at Polunsky Unit near Huntsville. When I first met Montel, I didn't know what to expect. It was the summer after my first year of law school, and I was working in a death penalty clinic where our goal was to do what we could to save people's lives on Death Row all post-conviction work. My specific task was to fill out a clemency petition for Montel. Clemency petitions are written to the governor asking to save someone's life. The governor then decides whether that life is worth saving or not. So it involves a lot of research. You do everything you can to look into the case and you do everything you can to look into the individual's background, their family, who they were, what they liked. So I got to know Montel's case and his background pretty well. First, I have to say that the man that Montel was was a heartwarming, loving, kind man. I'll never forget that towards the end of our representation of him, I spoke to his son who told me that his son, Montel's grandkids, would never know life of crime because Montel had shielded them from it. He was a positive influence in their life, and he wished that he could have still been around. The issues in the case are what struck me as so unjust, though. In addition to the clemency petition, there were two other claims that we were working on. One was a claim to the Supreme Court that Montel was too mentally disabled to be executed. That was actually being worked on by some other attorneys. Another issue was a state court claim that there was DNA that still needed to be tested. According to the state's theory at trial, there was only black men present at the scene. However, the victim at the scene of the crime had a tuft of Caucasian hair 
in his hand. And I don't mean one or two hairs. I mean a full tuft gripped in the victim's hand as if he was grasping at the Caucasian male and ripped out some hair when he died. However, the state's theory said there was no Caucasian male on the scene, so they did not see a need to test the DNA of this hair. We felt it was relevant because of some background work we had done. I, along with some other law students, had gone into Beaumont in search for someone that might know more about the case. Now, Montel did, despite being mentally able, he had done everything he could to get by, and that did lead him to a life in the drug ring. He did the best he could, and he actually started rivaling some of the drug lords in Beaumont. One such drug lord was an elderly lady named Beverly, and we actually tracked her down years later. I'll never forget being at the front door and seeing the Cadillac roll down the street and the dark tinted window rolled down in the back seat and the woman calling saying, are you looking for me? So we had found Beverly and she was convinced that Montel was innocent as well. She told us that there was another rival drug lord. It happened to be some police officers who months after Montel's conviction were indicted for stealing drugs from the police evidence room. So as they were trying to build up their drug company, they had a rival, and that was Montel. And the victim just so happened to be these police officers snitch. So we felt that these Caucasian police officers might have been suspects. So we wanted to test the tuft of Caucasian hair in the victim's hand against these police officers' DNA to see if it matched if in fact they were present on the scene. In addition to this, someone came forward saying they knew the real killer of the victim and they wanted to testify. However, Beaumont gave them a court-appointed attorney. We were kept out of that hearing and the trial judge happened to find that person not to be credible. So they didn't let that person's testimony be considered. I want to take a quick moment here to pause from the story and just address the issue of the death penalty in Texas and how it was applied in Montel's case. A lot of people are unaware when they talk about the death penalty that actually across the United States only 2% of counties have the majority of death penalty cases and Harris County happens to be one of the top. It is often said that Harris County is the major leagues of death penalty, and people rush here to fight it, because a lot of the drive for death penalty is driven out of cases from here. And that's true. The other big issue in Montel's case is the death penalty applied to the mentally ill. Until just a couple years ago, States were allowed to define mentally ill in their own way. Texas was one that applied the facts of the case into their definition of the mentally ill. So for a case like Montel, the state of Texas was allowed to use, again, the state's theory of the case and how he carried it out, which, by the way, 
was not questioned very much because his court-appointed attorney in Beaumont did a terrible job at trial. It's one of the large injustices of how we treat our poor in our system. But I digress. Texas was allowed to define mentally ill in the ways in which the crime was carried out according to the state's theory. So despite the fact that Montel was mentally disabled, because, as the state claimed, he was able to carry out the crime in the way that they claimed he did, then he couldn't have been mentally disabled. So Texas is, of course, able to carry out the execution. The Supreme Court a couple years ago overruled that and said if someone is mentally disabled, we really mean it. You're really not allowed to execute him. So if Montel had held on just a couple more years, he would still be alive today. Unfortunately, the ways in which we have applied the death penalty has been unjust for a long time. And as we continue to scramble to try to fix it, people's lives are lost. A lot of people argue that the death penalty because of that should just be abolished. Even if the theories in which the death penalty are accurate, even if deterrence is a justifiable goal of the criminal justice system, which scientifically it is proven that it is not, but even if it is, the way that we carry it out has so many mistakes. There's been so many DNA exonerations that it just seems illogical that we could continue to do it. One example I really like, I've heard before, is that Germany doesn't have the death penalty. And someone said that the reason they had is because they recognized their history. What if the Germany government had ever sentenced a Jewish person to death? Because of Germany's history, the government can never sentence another Jewish person to death. However, in America, we have not reconciled our past. We ignore the injustices of our past. And despite the fact that we had slavery, that we had lynchings, that we have consistently treated black bodies unjustly, we still sentence them to death. And unfortunately, we have let 2% of our counties drive this narrative. It's about time America recognizes its past in its presence, statistical injustices and inability to fairly carry out the death penalty and abolish it altogether. Back to Montel's story, and really back to how his story has compelled mine. So we were left with three claims. One to the Supreme Court that he was too mentally disabled to be executed. One to the state court that the DNA should be tested. And one clemency petition to the governor. A lot of what we found about Montel was cut from the clemency petition. The attorneys running the mentally disabled Supreme Court decided that it wasn't right to put in a lot of his personal facts, his personal stories, his personal relationships, his personal life, because it might cut against his mentally ill claims, even though we were in two separate filings. That broke my heart because Montel's full story truly never got told. The system was allowed 
to treat him like an other and forget him and dehumanize him enough to that his human story never got told and he was sentenced to death and the execution was carried out. When we found out it was one afternoon that his execution date was set. We found out throughout the afternoon that all three claims had been denied. The last one we found out was from the Supreme Court that Texas could carry forward its execution of a mentally disabled man. Luckily, I went to Bible study instead of the bar. I had fasted that day in Montel's honor. Now Texas carries out its death penalty at sundown. I'm not sure why, I guess to be very eerie about it. So when it was sundown, I was coming off my fast. I was shoving cookies in my mouth. I knew Montel was being executed. And someone read the verse at the start of this story. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. From that moment on, I dedicated my life to indigent defense so that people's stories, like Montel's, would not go unheard, so that the redemptive qualities and positive contributions that he could make to this world would not be forgotten and freedom can be realized. That's what's led to this podcast, and that's what's led to the creation of Restoring Justice. This week's story was definitely a struggle in freedom. But in the spirit of Montel, we cannot end the fight for freedom. So even when we have these struggles, we need to tell them, embrace them, and let them lead to more fights for freedom. That's why we still see his story as a freedom story. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for your time. I hope you'll join us next week as we tell some more freedom stories.